So back in high school, my favorite, probably one of my favorite movies was The Dark Knight, the first one of the trilogy, that, the, bat, the very first Batman movie. And what fascinated me so much about the Batman movie was the villain. For those who have never seen the first Dark Knight, basically, this, as the, 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 the plot goes, the, you know, Bruce Wayne as a kid sees his parents get killed, very tragic, goes through his little emo stage, his goth stage, gets really sad, all this stuff. And then he realizes, you know what, I gotta go and do something about this. And so he goes on a journey to find himself. A very millennial desire, go and find yourself. I, you know, I sympathize with him a lot. So he goes to the place where we all, or many of us, dream about going to find ourselves. He goes to the east. But he goes far, far away. All right. And he goes to this big mountain to seek the great eastern guru, the great mighty one, the one that's wise, the one that has all the answers. And he goes, and there's this great scene where he climbs the top of the snow-capped mountain, and he gets to the top, and he looks up, and there he sees the great one, the guru, Raz al Ghul. Anyway, it's, for those who don't know, that's the villain of the story. But at the moment, he looked like the great, grand, amazing guru. And what I found, what, the reason why whoever the director was, I can't remember, why this was such a stroke of brilliance, to write this villain in as an Eastern guru is because so many of us are fascinated by these people. So many of us have this weird, not weird, but this almost like natural astonishment at this mystery cult that goes on in the East. I went to public school my whole life. And I remember in high school, if you ever brought up the Pope, you'd get these snarky remarks like, oh, he's mean. Or, oh, he's too strict. Or, oh, yeah, whatever. I mean, it, it was all the same. But if you ever brought up the Dalai Lama, even though nobody knew who or what the Dalai Lama really did, everybody would just kind of glow with reverence. Ooh, the Dalai Lama. Amazing. They were just fascinated by this, by this Eastern figure. They thought the Dalai Lama was like this whole other like being. This was completely removed, mysterious figure that made him extra religious somehow. And this is not unique, to be honest. In all reality, all throughout history, we Westerners have been fascinated by what goes on in the East and the Easterners in general, that Eastern religion. And what we see in today's scripture, in today's story, is not a total, utter rejection of that fascination. It's not. What we see in today's story, the epiphany with these three magi, is a baptism of the Far Eastern mystery. An understanding of what exactly this means. An understanding that this Eastern mystery, this supreme like wonder of what is going on over there, this like supreme kind of removal, points to Christ. Points to Christ. And that is symbolized in these three wise men. These three wise men are three magi from the east. And if Ra's al Ghul is the perfect embodiment of everything that is wrong with the east, then these three wise men are the perfect embodiment of everything that is right with the east. These three wise men, really, they're just magi in the scriptures. There's not actually three wise men. 
That's been a bit of a myth. 500 years after the coming of Christ, uh, the, the Cathedral of Ravenna wrote that there were three wise men. And on the ceilings of this cathedral wrote that they had three different names. Gaspar, Melchior, and Balthazar. Gaspar, Melchior, and Balthazar. Three different names. And even though these myths, this, these names may not be historically verifiable, it does point to the fact that these people were fascinating characters. For centuries, the church has looked at the three wise men with astonishment. Who were these guys to come from the east? Who were these guys that were some, some people claimed were princes? Some people claimed were kings. Some people claimed were like kind of these great gurus, these Zoroastrian and kind of other mystery cult priests. What were these people? And the answer is we just don't know. They're shrouded in mystery. But unlike the mystery that the villain of Batman sought to promote, these guys, these mysterious men, were shrouded in mystery so they should not promote themselves. They were content with not having their names known. They were content with being quiet. They were content with having that mystery surrounding them so that Christ might be glorified. That's the difference between a good mystery and a bad mystery. A bad mystery is a guy who seeks to conceal himself, conceal his identity, do all this other stuff, so then he can betray you. That's just exactly what happened in Batman. Batman meets Ra's al Ghul. He seems like a nice guy, trains him up, and then he betrays him. That is not the case with Christ. Whenever we veil things in mystery, it's to make them more known. And these magi are mysterious to make Christ known. To show that, yes, we might be fascinating characters, but the Christ child is what is their true fascination. But even though these men are veiled in mystery, they have three things that we know about them. There are three things. First thing we know, they're pretty rich. They got money. All right. I mean, they have they can come to Jesus and they can bring gold, frankincense and myrrh. What's fascinating about this is gold is not like I mean, this is a pretty expensive metal. And the fact they're giving it to a child really kind of shows how much they are willing to depart from it. They have money. The other thing to notice, too, is that they're famous. Lots of people come to, came to Jerusalem all the time on pilgrimage, on whatever. But I doubt Herod noted everybody that came to, to Jerusalem. These wise men had to have some kind of fame. I'm not entirely sure what. We don't really know. It's kind of escaped us in history. But what we do know is that Herod took an interest in them. To the point where Herod actually called them in talked with them and actually then not just called them in and talked to them once but called them in twice called them in talked to them what's going on we're going to see the christ child herod then obviously trusts him goes gathers the main scribes and priests talks with them and then he goes and calls in the magi again these guys must have had some kind of foreign diplomacy they must have been something special if herod would have taken notice but there's a third thing a third thing that i find most beautiful about these men is they are known as wise men. History has shown that these men have a certain wisdom, something that I think the East specializes in. One of the great parts about the East is the wisdom that it promotes and how it values wisdom. They had everything going for them, guys. How many people do we know that are both rich, that are rich, 
that are famous and wise. Find me a Hollywood actor that has that. (laughs) Rich, famous, and wise. These guys were the whole package. They had it together, no question. Just like the villain in Batman. But the difference between these men and the villain in Batman was that these men recognized that, that they didn't have it all together. They knew that their riches, they knew their wisdom, they knew their fame wasn't enough. And so they sought to go on a journey. Unlike the villain in Batman who sought to, to hide himself in a snow-capped mountain, sought to overthrow the government in his own way, who sought, to com- who sought to glorify himself, these men sought to empty themselves. Which means that these guys provide for us a blueprint of what it means to be a Christian. What these three men do, these three rich, famous, wise men show us, is that riches are only useful if you're going to lay them down at the feet of Jesus. They show us that fame and attention is only useful is if you're going to use that fame and attention to point to the child Jesus. They show us that wisdom is only useful if it propels us on a journey to discover not some abstract, vague concept, but the real, living, and true God. And they give us one way to do this. It's very, very simple. Look at the stars. Look at the stars. Friends, if you and I can can gear our lives toward looking at the stars, not in the sense of like becoming astrologists or astronomers, that's not what I'm getting at, but to look at the movements of God. Many people have said that these stars, this star was not so much a a constellation, not that that they probably did not look at, at the stars, but an angel, a bright light or a light that led them to Bethlehem, that led them to the exact place that Jesus was staying. And that shows us exactly how you and I can live our lives, I believe. One of the things that that is so hard for us to do these days, in fact, maybe the hardest thing for us to do these days, is actually look at stars. Go outside. See if you can find any. If you live in Lafayette, which I do, I live here, they're impossible. They're gone. There's too much surrounding light in the area to see any stars. In a sense, you can argue, if we look, transpose this into the spiritual life, there's too many distractions. How true is that of our spiritual life? How, many, how much physical light distracts us from our spiritual life? And how bad is that in this decade? I mean, think about it. The screens that bombard us with information, the iPhones, the televisions, the computers, there's even screens in cars prevent us from truly engaging in the spiritual life, prevent us from actually going deeper and seeing how God is working in us. And the reason why they prevent us from doing that is because they divert our focus. We have this idea that we've got to somehow click on the next link in order to stay up on the news. We've got to have some idea that we've got to be up to date on the next Facebook post that our friends make. Or that we've got to be ready and willing to take advantage of the next deal that Amazon.com puts out. 
fact of the matter is, there's a lot of distraction that draws us away from the spiritual life. A lot of little lights in our lives that cause violence and confusion within our souls. And what these three wise men do, what these three mysterious men do from the far east, is they show us that if you and I want Christ, if you and I want to learn how to live well, to give our riches away, to use our fame to point to Jesus and to be wise, you and I have to eliminate these distractions. I'm not saying throw your iPhone in the lake, even though that's what I want to do most days. I'm not saying smash your computer against the wall, even though that's what I want to do most days. But what I am saying is that you've got to, you and I have got to learn to fast from these things. That the fulfillment of life does not exist in phones or computers or televisions. But the fulfillment of life exists in God, in the spiritual life, in watching for the stars and watching for the Lord work in our lives. And there's no greater place to find that than in prayer. One of the hardest things to do this day and age for the exact reason that I just mentioned. The distractions, the phones, the screens. And so my friends, what these wise men ultimately show us at the end of the day is that if you and I have the trust and the ability to look to God, to look to the stars and not so much focus on the, 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 the distractions around our lives, then you and I will truly be led to the child Jesus.